Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Vent. This is Vent Weekly. A collaboration between Vice and Brent 2020, London Borough of Culture. Get a cracking. Sabrina. Nuruddine. Vent Weekly. COVID-19 has affected all aspects of our lives, but some things have been particularly hard to live without. I miss playing football. And it's not just you, Nuruddine. From grassroots football clubs to the Premier League, football has been massively hit by COVID-19. How will football survive this pandemic? Football after COVID is going to be weird. I think once crowds are reintroduced, I think that'll be a very slow process. I think there'll be a, a big cap on the number of tickets they sell and there'll be quite a strategic seating plan. My main worry with football, as with lots of other things, is that it's going to start looking too much like it used to look like before COVID way too soon. I don't think the current state of football now is people are enjoying it as much with the fake fans and the fake noises. It doesn't have the same feeling. We've invited football journalist David Goldblatt and football enthusiast and fellow Verintonian Khalid Dovi on to talk about the beautiful game. So could you guys just introduce yourselves? My name is Khalid Dovi. Um, I'm from Brent. I like football. I love football. It's the only thing that I'm sure that I love. <laughs> That's my favourite thing to do. And obviously, I love analysing the game. I like playing the game. Every part of football just intrigues me. Love that. Love that. Nice. How about you, David? Okay, my name's David Goldblatt. I'm a journalist and a writer and an academic. And uh, a long time ago, I wrote a book called The Ball is Round, A Global History of Football, which is like a crazy thousand pages long, great doorstep of a book. Very useful if your furniture breaks to kind of put things (laughs) up. And I've been in the same groove ever since, you know, nearly 20 years later, still writing and thinking about football. Uh, I'm a Tottenham Hotspur supporter oh inherited God. from my... So is my family. Oh my so is my family. Yeah, for my oh sins. My for my sins. We can tell that Khalid is an Arsenal fan. <laughs> no, I'm not even an Arsenal fan, but it's disgraceful that you're a Tottenham fan. <laughs> So I'm a Tottenham fan inherited from my father and my grandfather, but I've lived in Bristol now for 17 years and ah. I'm 500 metres away from the mighty Bristol Rovers. And to be honest, these days, I think actually my main squeeze is Bristol Rovers. Well, I think Bristol Rovers are a better team than Tottenham. <laughs> yeah, they are, quite often. Mind you, I'm not sure, Khaled, you've actually seen a lot of Bristol Rovers play. <laughs> I'm not sure you'd say that after 90 minutes at the Memorial. <laughs> Stadium. <laughs> oh, God. Well, as soon as you got Marino, I knew I'd never watch Tottenham play again. I know. It's our curse. It's our punishment for hubris and pride is to have that man in charge. <laughs> so we're going to talk about how football has been affected by COVID 
the professional ways that has been affected. So like by the Premier League being paused, no more games being played, like mid mid Premier League, it's been paused. The Premier League's expected to suffer the most substantial financial hit amongst all European leagues. In terms of home football for us, like me and you, Khalid, grassroots footballs is actually being stopped as well. Like parks are being closed, pitches are being shut. Like pitches that I've been to, goals have been moved from the actual where they are. The nets have been removed and they've been chained up by the side of the pitch. They don't want us to play football. They don't want us to engage in games because, of course, social distancing measures and you've got to stay two metres apart, but they allow you to use the pitch and train, but you can't play a game. So I don't understand the whole how they're going about allowing people to play football during this quarantine. But do you guys have any like views or have you seen, been to any pitches and tried to play and had the same difficulties as I have? Personally, I play football every day because I have a garden in it. So I got my cones there and I'm doing little, you know, going around the cones and that. David, how has the like actual lack of football been for you as well? Do you know, like a crazy thing is, in some ways, it's a bit of a relief. <laughs> I mean, I've spent the last like 18 months, well, more than that, like three and a half years writing a book called The Age of Football. And um, it's about football over the last, last like 20 years. Wow. And the more I study football at the top professional level, the more I kind of wring my hands and want to tear my hair out <laughs> the way in which economic and political forces around the world have colonised the game yeah. and taken it over. And in a funny way, guys, it's almost been a bit of a relief not to be kind of like endlessly moving around in the swamp mm-hmm. is kind mm-hmm. of how I felt it. I mean, I've, I'm in danger, honestly, of having studied football for too long, too, for long. too hard, and feeling like you're falling out of love yeah. with the thing. Yeah. So, in a funny way, it's been quite good to have a bit of a detox yeah. um, for yeah. me. Yeah. And I am really, you know, I've now got to the point where I'm really missing going to see Bristol Rovers. You know, mm. and I'm not interested. I don't know about you guys. I've watched a bit of the Bundesliga yeah, um, yeah. on TV. And I just think, what's the point? Yeah, with no fans. What's the point? Doesn't Wait, make what sense. Is, what, is what, that? what is that? The Bundesliga. It's the German League. The German League. They restarted earlier than everybody else because Germany got its act together COVID-wide earlier oh. than most folks. <laughs> and uh, they're playing behind closed doors. So nobody in the crowd. No fans. Weird. No fans. Weird. It's weird. That's crazy. Because I've been to watch Man City. I've seen Man City's under 18s train before a match because they were playing a team in my area. Yeah. And it was the way it it felt there. Like it was cool. Obviously, you're watching all these young, like the next generation, and it's cool. Yeah. But then you're thinking, okay, I want to see a match now. Exactly. Like watching the Bundesliga, it seems fake. Like it seems yeah. it's just it's sick. sick, yeah. So I can't even I can't even imagine for the players on the pitch. Like, how are you supposed to perform to a hundred percent when there's no one even cheering your name? Exactly that. Like, where's the motivation? Football is more than football. People say, oh, it's all about what's going on on the pitch. Yeah. But no, what we've no, discovered actually that football's a much more complicated social phenomenon. Definitely, hundred percent. I mean, of course, it's sport, and we love to watch people do amazing things with their bodies, right? Yeah. But you know, something else is going on. I mean, as I often say, like, if football was all about, you know, beautiful art and winning, right, why would anyone be going to see Bristol Rovers? 
Exactly. We all know what good football looks like. I can watch the Champions League like everybody else. (laughs) That's not what you're getting at Bristol Rovers, let me tell you. (laughs) They've got loyalty to the team, man. It's communality, solidarity. Solidarity. You know. Mm, Exactly. That brilliant feeling of being in a crowd. And like, it's one of the few places that I go where I think, yeah, I'm in Bristol. I'm from Bristol. We're all from Bristol and this sort of means something to us, you know? So how do you think we can still maintain that energy post-COVID? I don't think we can. I just don't think we can. Unless someone invents an app where they can just tune in to the game. But they're doing that already at some of the German grounds and putting up screens with um, people, you know, watching it on Zoom and then they've got big screens in the stands. I think they were doing it in Denmark as well. But it's not... It feels so unnatural. It's not human contact. It's like one of my great pleasures of going to football when I go and see sometimes, shh, I go and see Bristol City as well because my (laughs) friends have got season tickets and they let me go with them. And there's a dude who sits in front front of us uh, called, well, I won't say his name, but he's a trout fisher from Somerset and he always wears a, uh, a sheepskin jacket and he's got a very big fat neck. And this dude, the colour of his neck changes according to the state of play. So when things are really exciting, <laughs> right, it goes bright red. And yeah. like, I can't tell you how much joy and like that's part of the trip is like hanging out yeah. with that dude. There's another guy who sits behind my friends at Bristol City and every single half time he gets out a bag of boiled sweets and he passes them round the people around him. And that is like just that little simple exchange and the few words I have with this dude. It's like... That's a big part of going to the football for me, and I just don't see how we can reproduce that in uh, in the absence of crowds. Yeah. Much as people are dying to watch the football, it's also about playing football. We often talk about football like, you know, it's all about watching it and following it. But first and foremost, it's a game that people play because they love it and it brings them joy and pleasure, you know, and communality with their mates. And it just strikes me, you know, We've learned it's a really important human need. Whatever kind of game you want to play or movement or sport or exercise you want to do, being stuck in and having that restricted over the last three months just reminds us how important that is. I don't look past me and the football I watch, but when I was in Vail Farm and we were playing and I was thinking, I know today, the time I was there, it was a Thursday, and I know that that time is old, is walking football, innit? And I was thinking, hey, man, them, you see the old people and like who play football every week, walking football, what are they going to be doing? Because like that's what's keeping them healthy. Like some of them, that's what's keeping them, like that's where they see their friends. Like some of them can't leave the house unless it's that. Yeah. And they're most at risk to the virus. So you can imagine they're not going nowhere. And so I was just thinking, like, rah, it's just deep. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. 
because of job losses that volunteers might have got. People that were volunteering now have different uh, financial and work commitments. If money isn't ring-fenced, it might be a case that's taken away from there in order to pay for certain measures for COVID. I don't necessarily see why participation in grassroots football will drop. If I feel like as people are given the opportunity and it becomes safe to do more group activities, there might be like a renewed energy. I don't think that COVID-19 is the biggest threat to grassroots football. I think the things that are threats to grassroots football is the lack of funding. Do you guys think that participation is going to drop because of COVID? We'll see what the economics of the situation are. I mean, what we do know, you know, there were a lot of cuts in local authority services, as you know, under austerity from 2010, you know, through to pretty much now. And once again, the thing that gets cut is, you know, sports and youth provision. I mean, we're still selling off, you know, publicly owned football pitches. Um, So there are fewer and fewer places. Now, I can't predict exactly what the government's going to do and what the economic situation's going to be in the next couple of years, but I'm concerned and worried that there are going to be a lot of folks who can't afford to engage in these things. And if they can, that they're going to be fewer and more expensive facilities. So I'm concerned that more people certainly like around where I live, which is a pretty middle-class part of town in Bristol, there's a lot more running going on because, like, well, it's cheap and you can just go out and do it. Mm. But again, how long will that last when all the cars are back on the road? Exactly. You know, part of the reason people have enjoyed running is, like... They can run on the street. Just for once. You can walk and run in the street. (laughs) I love it, man. Like, you just realise how much space is taken up with motor cars everywhere. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, like, ooh, how nice would it be if we could all be playing football in the street? You know, which is what used to happen before they were full of cars. My family originates from Ghana. And in Ghana, that's what they do. Like, literally, we put... And because, you know, the facilities ain't great. So in Ghana, you'll find, like, only the best footballers get to play on actual pitches. So when I go there, obviously, because they know me in the area as I'm from London and I'm pretty good at football. So when I go, I play with the first team that play for the on the pitches. But I don't even like playing for the first team because on the pitches is cool. Obviously, you're a neighbourhood celebrity when you come because you're scoring for the neighbourhood and that because it's like a neighbourhood kind of regional tournament type thing. So when you come, they're happy to see you because you're scoring for them and then it makes you popular. But I love playing with the kids in the area. Just on the road, because the road's bumpy and we live in like a village type area, it's like cars don't usually come down one road. And that road, there's about four different games going on. And I'm telling you, you see when we're talking about goals, you can compare it to goals because there's four different games going on on the same road (laughs) where cars pass. So then when the car beeps, everyone has to pick up the cone for the goals, isn't it? And then we come back and start the game again. I can never imagine it happening here. Like, I can't imagine driving the car and just seeing that. That would be crazy. But why not? It could be made to happen. I mean, you know, there is... Like, here in Bristol, we've got a thing where you can... You can apply to the council to close your street off um, every now and again to allow kids to play in it. And I can't see why that shouldn't be happening all over the country. That would be mad. People see football as a way out. Yeah. And so... When I'm hearing the man them tell me, nah, bro, I can't go goals because I, I ain't got a fiver to go goals to play football. So I got to be on the road. It's disheartening because like, people, I know a lot of good footballers who got caught up. Like, I have a friend that's in jail now and he, he, he was at Crystal Palace on trial before he went in jail. 
So, like, football is a re is a big way out. And so, obviously, with the, like, economically, we're not going to be the same when we come out of COVID. And so, it may see cuts to, like, some football parks and stuff. And I'm seeing the amount of lives that would, like, be changed or altered who could have gone down the football route that can't now. And so, we'll turn to, like, maybe, you know, like, drugs or crime or stuff like that. And so, I've been thinking about that part as well. Like, the people who could have seen football as their way out but can't now which is mad as well. They're people that use grassroots football the most, man. Like, they play either Sunday, Saturday league, and now that that's off, like, Sunday and Saturday league is probably one of the easiest leagues to get into. Like, even if you have, like, average skill, do you know what I'm saying? You see the tackles and the the, the, the challenges that come on those days. Like, you know, you're not walking for a couple of days after that. But <laughs> at the same time, like, that is Sunday league football. There's novelty in that, going to just get battered on a Sunday. Either you do the battering or you get battered. Do you know what I'm saying? So what can we do to save grassroots football? The thing about grassroots football, which I respect so much, is like it can bring people together for real. Because I remember this stopped now because um what's it? Stonebridge and Halsden are not really safe, safe enough places for it to happen anymore. There used to be like a little eleven aside game that happened like every month. Then it started changing to every year. Like it got less and less frequent, but what was it, at Pavilion? No, no, not at Pav. It used to happen in Gibbons. You know Gibbons Rec? Gibbons, yeah, literally right next to my house, right up the road from my house. Gibbons, yeah. Exactly. It used to happen there, and it used to be on the pitch, yeah, you would have all the drugs, man, like the big top shotters in the area, and they would come and they would all play. And these guys, they don't like each other. That is crazy. You would never, ever see these men together, because they hate each other. Never. But they will come to that game, and the support from the community... That's what really showed us that, you know, although, you know, what's going on, it ain't great, but we yeah. can, we still have common decency to play a game of football. To play a football game, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I remember when I got invited, my first time I got invited to come play, I got to play with the biggest, like, the people that everyone knew in the area. I got invited to play with them one time because <laughs> I was known in the area, I was good and that. And they told me, come play, and I was scared. Because look, all these men that I'm hearing... You know their history, bro. We see them as the boogeymen in our area. It's scary. I saw a man put down his gun and come and play football. And the guy that he's supposed to hate shake his hand at the end and say, you know what, you had a good game. And they just walked their, their separate ways. GG's. Wow. GG's, man. GG's. Me, I'm 15. I was 15 years old. And I looked at it and I said, wow, this is what football can really do for our community. Exactly. If it can make people put their differences. You know, and it's like, why aren't we spending money on this, man? Mm. We got money to spend on the police, but we haven't got money to spend on this. So, David, are you calling for the government to fund free play? I think it's not just the government, but the government's part of it. I mean, I think that the football industry has a serious responsibility here. The FA. You know, I mean, the Premier League is turning over... Whew, you know, something in the region of four or five billion pounds a year. Everybody is making a lot of money. And and I don't, I'm not saying like top players shouldn't get, a, you know, be earning fantastic money, you know, because they're, they're the top of the tree. They're providing a lot of entertainment. Um, but I do think that we've now reached the point where football and footballers don't need any more money at that level. Right. And I would like to see the Premier League and the leagues below take, let's say, 10% of their uh, TV money and say, right, this is going to the grassroots. You know, we should be subsidising. Like, people have to pay to become a football coach, right? 
You have to pay. It's quite a lot of money to become a football coach. Four times as much in England as it is in Germany to be a football coach because the Bundesliga uh, realised that if you want a future football culture, then you need to have a lot of coaches. So make it easy for people to be a coach. So let's make it free, you know, from folks in Stonebridge living on that estate Let's see people taking up free coaching courses. So I think it's about government. It's about local government. You know, it's about the lottery. It's about the football industry. There's not one sort of like magic bullet here, you know, and there's not just one way. All of those things need to happen. I actually agree with what David is saying. And I like how you mentioned the football players, because I know there was a whole debate online as well. Um, should football players now like donate money for kids who's playing football, especially during COVID-19 and everything that's happening? And like you said, David, football players earn a lot of money. And if they put that, and they were young once, they played football like you guys once. So I definitely feel like they should be putting money towards that. But I didn't know how you guys felt about that, if you agree that if football players should do that. I believe what you're saying is completely true. And I agree wholeheartedly. But I also believe that because there's been an influx of international players into the game, when they like start reaping the benefits of Premier League money and contracts and stuff, like I know Sadio Mane is known as one of the most charitable players in Africa because he's from Africa. So when he gets his money, he's not thinking about grassroots football in England. He's thinking about grassroots football in Senegal. You know, he pays the rent of every person in his village right now. Every month. Yeah, like Michael Essian built a hospital for uh, for his hometown. No, I know. I'm in Ghana, exactly. And that's what I'm saying. So, like, the people who, like, the, the players who come from different countries are really charitable. If you talk to the people in their country, because I'm from Ghana, so when you go back to Ghana, what's it, Marcel Desailles, who used to play for Chelsea, he played for France. But in Ghana, he opened a complex where there's, like, a hotel. I play football there, so I know. And so the players are doing things, but because there's not a lot of homegrown players, because of the grassroots football game is not seen as high, so there's not a lot of homegrown players. in. The, that's why they had to make rules about it in the football, because they say, look, you Man Cities are going around buying the best players in the, in the world, but you're not looking at the academy which you put millions and millions into. I feel like if there was more young English players in the teams coming through, then there would be better like funneling like the money filtering down towards the yeah. grassroots football you're right because i've seen tyrone ming start up his own um uh coaching i don't was it academy called the tyrone tyrone mm. ming's academy um yeah. and he plays what teams play for villa what teams uh, yeah aston villa yeah, yeah, he, plays for yeah he plays for villa doesn't he so all of these young um brum kids that like I love football and they love Tyrone Mings. They are going to their local goals as he has set up volunteers there for them to actually teach the kids the right way of football, the right way of life. Because football in itself, when you're being coached through it, they teach you right from wrong and you can tell that it channels into like real life. Like in the end of the day, when you become an, an older man, what you learn from your coach, like, in football kind of does it helps you in further life do you know what i'm saying like there's it makes you street smart there's a lot of things that football coaching can teach you that exclude football so it just makes you a better man overall that's why that's why i agree with david's point and more coaching and more subsidizing for free coaching 
programs. Also, there's a lack of good, like top level coaches in the Premier League. I mean, you have the Brighton manager, Graham Potter, I think his name. He's a decent manager. You have uh, Eddie House at um, Bournemouth. But then other than that, you know, I feel like I'm forgetting someone big, but oh well. Other than that, you don't have any top level English managers or any um, transcendent English managers. You see in Germany, as you said, in Germany, they make coaching free. So you have play, um, managers like Jurgen Klopp, you know, Julian Nagelsmann, who are changing the whole game. Like, look, Klopp has come to the Premier League playing a totally different style of football. And now everyone plays that style of football. That these are transcendent, unique managers. Thank you so much, David and Khalid, for speaking to us about this. It was great. Thank you, guys. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was really, really interesting conversation. So, Sabrina, how did that conversation make you feel? It was nice to see how passionate you all were about football and especially seeing like where you guys play, how you play anywhere. It just shows how how much emotion there is in the game, yeah. especially when you're talking about like you have to have the fans there to watch the game, which I didn't actually know. I just thought you only watch it <laughs> and not for the atmosphere and the fans. Yeah. So it's interesting to know that, but I'm sure you enjoyed the conversation. How was it for you? No, nah, I loved it, man, because it's on a topic that I like thoroughly enjoy it. I thoroughly love it like football actually like I wholeheartedly love football mm-hmm. and if football was a girl I'd marry her like, <laughs> I'll say that for free loads of people right now are going through the same struggles that we are they don't know where they can play football they don't know if they're going to be able to play football again mm-hmm. thank you for listening to Vent Weekly I've been Nuruddin and I've been Sabrina and thanks a lot to Khaled and David for coming on you can buy David's book in any good bookshop and listen to Khaled's documentary on Drill on Vent Documentaries podcast this episode was produced by the Vent production team Jess Lawson Amelia Gill Moeed Majid and Arlie Adlington Vent is a collaboration between Vice and Brent 2020 London Borough of Culture A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.